0: I got a speeding ticket because I was trying to make it back for therapy.
1: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Fuck yeah.
0: Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Poclip.
1: And I'm Amanda Luberto.
0: And today we are swapping a couple of movies about chosen families. I watched Juno for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch?
1: I watched the first Fast and Furious movie.
0: Yes, you fucking did. Hell yeah, but before we get to family and Sunny D and the like, how are you doing? What have you been watching?
1: I'm good. Also, happy two-year anniversary oh, yeah. of Spotters. Look at
0: us. Who would have known we've been doing this for two years?
1: It's our birthday episode. More birthday talk. Yeah, you thought we were done with <laughs> birthday
0: talk? You're wrong.
1: Um, I'm doing good. Things are good. Um, I've been watching a lot of good stuff. I went to the theater the other day. I watched... Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix movie. I really liked it. I think Joaquin is a master. He's so talented. And I also think Ari Aster is like, like a very interesting movie maker. So I enjoyed Bo is Afraid. Um, and then two movies from the past that I watched recently um, was the Cohen Brothers movie Burn After Reading, I'm like pretty indifferent on the Coens. I have a lot of respect for them more than I really love watching their films. But this was like so actively funny. <laughs> I really loved this movie. I was so impressed. Dumb, hot Brad Pitt is the funniest thing. It's so good. It is perfect himbo material. Um, and then I also watched Behind the Candelabra, the Liberace movie. Um, starring Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. Uh, good. Over the top, extravagant, <laughs> but very good.
0: Um, I will say on the burn after reading note, the ending of that film is so funny.
1: It's so funny. I was like, wait, is it? Oh, my God. I can't believe they're doing this.
0: <laughs> I'm not always tapped into uh, like Coen Brothers' like, wavelength, especially when it comes to their funnier movies. Um, but for some reason, Burn After Reading really clicked as as well for me.
1: Behind the Candelabra was like actually like really well made. Um, it was one of the like first HBO like m- TV movies. Um, and I didn't really know anything about Liberace. So I guess I don't know how much of it's true and how much of it's not true. But I thought they did like a really interesting job. And Matt Damon is also playing a himbo. Um, in that movie. <laughs> All right, Zach, how are you? What have you been watching?
0: I'm good. I'm a little tired. Went to Kansas City. I think my bloodstream is like 10% barbecue sauce at this point. But I've been also watching a lot of good movies. I watched uh, History is Made at Night, 1937 film starring Charles Boyer and Gene Arthur. It's like incredibly romantic. The storyline's kind of nuts and then it turns into the Titanic for like a hot second. Also watched the Sidney Lumet Classic Network um faye dunaway yeah what a gem love her
1: network's on my uh in my queue right now
0: it's one of those movies that is really funny and then also makes you say like uh damn
1: okay (laughs) so take that as i'm excited
0: and then lastly i haven't i've been really bad this year at at watching 2023 movies um i've just i'm just behind on so many of them but i did watch rye lane which is um this british rom-com uh, kind of shades of like the before trilogy. Really great. It's directed by Rainn Miller starring David Johnson and Vivian Opara. Really charming. Uh, easy watch. Like, I, I think it's probably going to be up there. in My favorite movies of the year just because I think it's one that you can revisit a lot. It's on Hulu right now. So would recommend that. So, um, you know, from there, let's just go straight into it. We swapped a couple of uh, movies that we found like a common theme for kind of, but also was just like extremely important to both childhood you and childhood me. So um, why don't you tell us more about, or why don't you tell people more about why these movies are paired?
1: Yeah. I actually was realizing as I was watching them, cause I watched them back to back cause I had a night off um, was that they actually have a few very minor things in common. Like I love that they're both extremely two thousands movies. Yes. We're both going to talk about that. Um, there's also a a uh, tangential Arizona tie <laughs> in both movies. Juno's mom lives in Arizona <laughs> and sends her the cactus grams, and then Brian O'Connor is from Arizona as this undercover cop. <laughs> he's fake from Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the like character he's yeah. playing as the undercover, like his person, is That's really from funny. Arizona.
0: We'll talk more about Arizona Um, movies next month, but we'll get there.
1: Yeah. Both heavily feature cars as important vehicles. Um, You know. (laughs) Cars Um, are important. But mostly like choosing your family and who you want to be around.
0: Yeah. I think we uh, both enjoy stories talking about like the families you choose. It's probably one of my favorite like story, I guess, tropes or or um themes uh, and I know the Fast and the Furious is like a parody of that at this point, but having your people, having your squad, whether that's your actual family or um, loved ones or whatever, uh these stories are a dime a dozen and two of our favorites. So I think we could just leave it there, flip the coin, call it Manda.
1: Alright. Um I'm gonna say tales.
0: It's tails and I say this like the last like three times I swear you're on a good streak right now and Joe has still not told me how many in a row that is so Joseph uh, get on it. Uh, All right what movie are we talking about first?
1: Let's start with Fast and Furious so we can end with Juno.
0: Uh, Let's rev the fucking engines. Let's go. (laughs) Amanda ask any racer any real racer. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile Winning's winning. I don't even know if I hit that quote exactly. I'm going off the top. But you watched Fast and the Furious for the very first time. What happens in this movie?
1: movie starts with a heist where three, like, juked up cars rob a truck that's carrying electronics. LAPD and the FBI are working together to bring them down. So they send in an undercover cop named Brian, played by Paul Walker, and he starts familiarizing himself with the racing underworld and with Dominic Toretto's team played by Vin Diesel. He is flirty with Dom's sister, Mia, and the rest of the crew, Letty, Vince, Leon, and Jesse, doesn't really know how to feel about him yet. They don't really care for him, but they don't really know. Brian shows up to a drag race trying to spot the robbers and like work some angles, and he wages his car in the race in order to gain respect. So if he lost, he would have to give up his car. The police come to the race and Brian helps Dom escape. They end up in the territory of a racing rival of Dom's named Johnny Tran. Um, Johnny Tran and his crew blow up Brian's car that he lost to Dom. So now he owes Dom a car. He brings a beater to Dom's garage saying that if they can fix it up, it'll be a great race car Brian is clearly falling more into Dom's crew, um, but the crew is very suspicious of him. Vince accuses Brian of being an undercover cop. Good job, Vince. Um, But Dom doesn't believe him and lets Brian stay in. Meanwhile, the other cops are getting on him about having not made any headway in the case and that he is not staying focused. Uh, He first suspects Tran is the... uh, robber than Hector, the other like leader of a racing gang, Um, but since he is really becoming part of the group, he joins Dom at the race wars. Yikes. Jesse, one of the members, loses his car in a bet and flees. Brian sees Mia and Dom arguing. He sort of figures it out like, if it's not Johnny Tran and it's not Hector, it's got to be Dom. This sucks. He reveals his identity to Mia, and they chase after Dom to ensure his safety. The trucker this time was armed, though, which has not happened before, and the crew gets into a lot of trouble. They save Vince in this like very intense scene on the highway, but in order to get him help afterwards, like medical help, Brian reveals himself to everybody as a cop. The movie ends with Brian and Dom in a final race because he lives his life a quarter mile at a a time and Brian gives Dom his car that he owed him. How did I do? You're part of the family now. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you so much. You can have
0: any brew you like as long as it's a Corona.
1: (laughs) I I did note that. (laughs) All right. So why did you pick this movie aside that it's like A very famous movie I haven't seen.
0: It's the start of probably the largest non-MCU Star Wars related franchise of the 21st century. Um, Like if you look at the most profitable films of all time, it's a lot of, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, some James Bond in there, and then like the Fast and Furious films. And it's funny when you think about that, like juxtaposed to this movie. It's just a, you know, slick, pretty small hour 40 crime thriller. Uh And it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, It's an incredibly important film uh, in my childhood and adolescence and honestly, adulthood. Um, So I'm glad that you finally watched this iconic movie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Hilariously iconic and like culturally very uh, uh, important. It's like a real cornerstone, I think, for um, a certain section of the American experience. But I'm going to stop lecturing about this film and let you kind of lead it. Why don't you tell me what stood out? What were your first watch impressions?
1: So obviously, I picked up on the fact that Brian Undercover is from Arizona. When he first speeds away (laughs) and you get the the red Arizona license plate, I was like, hell yeah, brother. That's (laughs) awesome. Such a good license plate. Uh, So I just thought that was fun. Um, And then... Really what stood out to me uh, upon watching is like this movie is so American and that is not meant to be pejorative. Like I think that they actually do a really excellent job of showcasing like early 2000s L.A. culture in not only like the stylization of the movie, but also like in the types of people that are in the movie and the types of like it's just like so. Um, American culture and I know that that like can be seen as like a down thing but I think it's like pretty incredible because not a lot of movies capture that idea and similarly it ties into like this movie is also extremely 2001 yes and like the, the style of the shots and the fact that they're stealing DVD players um, <laughs> I thought was very funny um, the outfits are like extremely West Coast 2001 um again not pejorative like i think that this is like a real like capture of what it was like in california in this time and i th- i thought that was really cool um i also really loved the cgi background like side view in the first car race to show how fast they're going <laughs> That was very 2001.
0: I genuinely feel like this movie uh, embedded into my brain what speed looks like. Every time they hit NOS, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that's like.
1: (laughs) So there's like a few, we've already talked about some of them, but there's a few like Fast and Furious staples that happen in all the movies. And so I, I did say, I did note that they did talk about Coronas. I've literally wrote down the line, there's something about the engines that calms me down. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not the most sharply written movie we've ever talked about.
1: It could have been a lot worse.
0: I've never decided if I think Vin Diesel's a good actor or not. I I think he might be, just like this franchise, a great bad actor. Because his intro mile speech and like him telling Brian about his father dying, both of those are like bad, but they're also really good. (laughs) And his whole like, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. I can't tell if I'm just Fast and Furious pilled or I'm like, you know what? Vin Diesel had a little something there.
1: We'll talk more about Vin Diesel and his career. um, But I I think that that is more a sign of the script than maybe it's a sign of him as an actor. And he's just been like so cornered into this type of role that maybe he's not getting other options really
0: yeah I, we'll talk about it more i do think he's cornered himself into that that's like, probably voluntarily. True. all right so what have you thought about the most since watching
1: something that i thought was really good we sort of dissed the the script writing already but something i did enjoy was that they had little explanations for all the tiny questions i had and while this movie has like a ton of plot holes and like it's very simple well, like at one point, for example, when they were doing the first drag race, I was like, this is fucking L.A. Like, how are there not like people on these streets? Like, how are there not like cops everywhere? Like, how are they not f- stopping them? And then like in that sequence, they show you how they're like blocking off the road and like some guy tries to get on. And he's like, no, go around. this street is blocked off. And like if they have the police scanner that they're listening for and like streets they- closed, pizza boy. Yeah, exactly. And like, I thought it was cool that they built in, like, people are going to want to know how this happens. And so, like, we're going to show you. I felt like it really built the world out um, that this is like, this happens often. These They know what to do. This is not their first rodeo. This is going to be foolproof. I thought that was a pretty neat thing that they did.
0: I was really admiring the world building and how quickly they do it. Like, this movie was based on, like, a Vibe article. Um, about street racing in LA and then they built out this whole you know the crew they the the chemistry between everyone is really great in like the garage the I guess poorly named race wars like that that looks sick though like I think that's Mm -hmm. at the San Bernardino International Airport I read that like 1500 like real racers came to that to like race so like this subculture really just got to to shine and um I thought you you get to know, like, the crews really quickly. I think in the first 30 minutes, you meet Hector, you meet Johnny Tran, you you get a sense of Dom.
1: And you, like, meet their styles, and you get to meet, like, how they're looked at in the culture. Like, everyone right. was like, oh, my God, Dom is here. Like, And you get to know, like, okay, he's not only, like, the leader of this gang, but he's also, like, very famous within this culture.
0: This is such a strange comparison. But, like, you know how in Game of Thrones, it just throws you into, like, the middle of a story? Yes. Like, and you have to figure out. It was very hard at first. <laughs> yeah, but this this does that, like, too, where it's like, oh, you meet Johnny Tran, and you immediately get like, there's beef between these two crews, but uh, Dom and Hector, like, they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, D- Dom has an inn at the the store that that Brian works at. Like, you find all these interconnected things that really throw you deeper into it through Brian's perspective. What else have you thought about?
1: So I really don't know anything about cars. That's <laughs> that was like something that like I probably could have told you before watching this movie, but then like as I was watching it, I it was becoming increasingly more clear to me that I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> like all the like slang, I'd be like, mm-hmm. I guess it makes the car go fast. Like, I have no fucking idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I barely know shit about cars and like, yeah, you you got it, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So it's just funny because it's like such a world I'm not familiar with um, that I'm sure for people who are like really into car culture, they're like, fuck, yeah, this is so cool. And I am happy for them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. like Just like how this movie shaped speed for me. I feel like this movie shaped what I thought of cars. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you should double clutch and not granny shift. Um, you you should uh, I've not always use heard your you say NOS that. too early. Yeah, right. You know, me who drives a busted ass hybrid Ford Escape. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I, I think like it's just one of those movies where you're like, you know, they'll just you know, use use some lingo and who knows how accurate it is. What I do love about the cars um, is like anytime they pull up to someplace like the crew, they're not in a line. They're always spaced out, like it's a like it's a crew walking into a bar, yeah. and like you would never drive like four wide, no, <laughs> like it's just awesome. through LA. Uh, but they're just like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna make it happen and and zoom around because we're buds.
1: I know car culture has had its stance in so many different parts of like American history, and like it's always been like a cool thing to like be into cars. But like I feel. Specifically in the early 2000s, it was all about, like, how can you trick out this car? Like, obviously, pit My Ride was, like, a huge show. And, like, how can we make this car cooler by swapping out different parts? And, like, how can we upgrade it? And how can you, like, take what you know about cars and sort of, like, Lego machine, like, a new car within this one? And, like, that's cool. That was, like, yeah. such a 2000s thing, I feel like.
0: That's what I also love, um, like souping up your car. I love that they give the moment uh, when Dom and Brian are driving to go get some shrimp and they're ch- testing out the new... The-
1: <laughs> that is that is what happened. You just really caught me off guard with the way you said it. <laughs>
0: and uh, they're test driving um, Brian's new Supra. And I used to be obsessed with the Toyota Supra just because of this movie. But they pull up and then they're pull up next to I think is a Ferrari Oh yeah. The more expensive car and the guy's like, oh, I'm gonna crush, I'm gonna, you know, smoke this guy. Yeah. And then Brian, because he and the crew have souped it up, dust it. And that really speaks to like you don't need the hundred thousand dollar car. You need, you know, the one with the good engine and then um some good mechanics, and you can you can have the fastest car. God, the cars are so cool. They're so corny, but,
1: but they're so cool. That also like is exactly what I was talking about when I say this movie is like so American. Like, the idea of, like, it doesn't have to be the $100,000 Italian car that is, like, shown, like, on the Amalfi Coast, like, speeding around these corners in the commercials. Like, you can take a fucking Honda whatever and, like, work with your buddies and, like, make it the fastest car you know. Like, I think that's, like, super – like, that's, like, not a culture thing in a lot of other countries.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, to speak to more it's about the, the about the uh, Americanness of this movie. Um, it becomes a bit um in the future installments, but um, Dom his uh, that his dad's car is a, da- a Dodge Charger, you know, okay. good old American muscle. Yeah, and Brian is always obsessed with like imports. Like he always has like a Nissan Skyline or like Japanese cars. And and soups those up. So, like at one point, one of them has a kid, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll uh, get them in a in a skyline, right?" And then Dom's like, "No, we're getting him in a in a Dodge." The juxtaposition is always there with how they um, go about approaching building out their cars, which I find uh, just like a fun little tidbit. Um, What else have you thought about in this movie?
1: So, I think my biggest takeaway is like, even though this movie is like not an abandoned movie, I definitely understand why it's so popular. It's like an extremely easy plot that's like pretty fun to watch. It's extremely big budget, but it has massive returns. I noted that Fast 9, which is by the time this comes out, not the most recent one, but, you know, it is at this point, made $729 million. Um, It's not complicated, but it's fun. And there's like a core group to cheer for. And it's, you know, slick and it moves fast but it's not superheroes and like it's not it's still like very grounded at least this one is i know that they like get kind of out of control and they're like driving cars through helicopters that are flying and like things get like wild but like this movie is like very grounded for how over the top it is at the same time
0: they start out as like your basic crime thrillers with like cool cars and stuff and then like by fast 5 uh, they become superhero movies and their superpower is their cars. It doesn't make sense, but it does. But uh, Fast 10 is, I think, out at this point. I've probably seen it. You know, i probably laughed along at every little small reference. Fast 9 was literally like, there was like little like MCU Easter eggs and references where I was like, oh, oh it's these guys. Like, oh, like who, who would have who thought? Um, it's so funny how this has become, like, there's 10 of these movies. <laughs>
1: yeah. And there's <laughs> like, like so... no slowing down.
0: I'm sure you had a lot to look up. Um, after did. this one but what were some of the first things you looked up about this movie
1: so like usually I want to look up was it received now the like the environment of the fast and the furious is like bigger than the movie themselves I feel like that's like how I knew about the films and I knew to look for the corona tropes and I knew to look for like the family thing because it is bigger than the movies themselves um, but I wanted to know like what was it like back then my very favorite review I read was from Todd McCarthy of Variety and he I thought he perfectly summed it up by saying it's a gritty and gratifying cheap thrill. And like that's exactly what I mean by like it's not complicated but it's tons of fun but still has heart. It's not necessarily like intelligent but it could be so much dumber. And like it's a good kind of just like easy breezy balance and I thought that that was a lot of fun and I thought he Summed it up well.
0: It's also just like a familiar storyline. Okay, this movie's literally Point Break. I don't think you've seen that, right? I have not. This movie's literally Point Break to the point where, where they go get the shrimp is where one of the characters in Point Break worked. Like that was a little homage to it. Nice. And I saw somebody joke, I think it was on Letterboxd, called it, this is Point Break, but they spelled break like a, <laughs> like like a car, car break. break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That's
0: good. <laughs> Which is a really hard thing to articulate in an audio medium. But yeah, gritty, gritty and gratifying is like, That's that's Fast and Furious.
1: I also enjoyed from Roger Ebert's review, this is my favorite line. It doesn't have a brain in its head, but it has some great chase scenes and includes the most incompetent cop who ever went undercover. (laughs) That was like another when he like confesses everything to Mia. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) And like, I know that he has to, but he doesn't even like try to like get around it. He's not even like, trust me. I just, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, he's just like, okay, so here it is. I am a cop. <laughs> and she's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was funny. <laughs> I
0: have a question about this. I was going to save it for later, but I'm just going to ask you now. Did you know Brian was a cop going into this?
1: No, I didn't know anything about this movie except that Michelle Rodriguez, Paul Walker, and Vin Diesel were in it.
0: What's funny is like I forgot that he had an undercover name as well. Like his his real last name is O'Connor,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is a great name, Brian O'Connor. Yeah, but so Good movie name. was that a twist for you whenever he gets arrested and you're like, oh, he's
1: a cop? Yeah. Well, I was like, something feels weird about this guy. And then <laughs> when that all happened, I was like, ah, that makes sense.
0: Like, I don't remember seeing this movie without knowing that Brian O'Connor was an undercover cop so that's a it that's, also that's tells very, very you fun. in
1: the description when you rent the movie it's like an undercover cop explores the like <laughs> and I was like oh okay so I had like an inkling but I was like oh look at that
0: what were what were some of the other things you've learned
1: yeah so uh in my other researching the reviews um or I'm sorry in researching the reception I read an article. Uh, From 2001, in a newspaper. I was like on my newspapers.com account, (laughs) like reading old newspaper clippings. Um, I'm glad I was able to find it. It was an interesting read. But they talked about, like, not only, of course, like DVD culture, because they're stealing DVD players, but like this movie was like a really big player in like launching the success of DVD discs. And like people wanted to own this and rewatch it. It sold 2.9 million copies in the first five days it was available. Because there was also no pre-order. So, like, this article was saying, like, it went from zero to 2.9 in five days. Like, that's wild. And, like, then it became, like, a thing to, like, buy the DVD, like, as soon as it came out so you could have it. And I thought that was, like, a really interesting, cool, cultural, early 2000s, like, staple thing that it made.
0: Are you saying the DVD sold fast and furiously? <sighs>
1: they did. Um, <laughs> so, it's very cool, though. Uh, I also didn't know anything really about Vin Diesel or Paul Walker, so I wanted to know more about them. I learned a lot. Um, Vin Diesel has like a very interesting life. Um, famously, real name is Mark Sinclair, um, but I knew he was in this movie, and I knew he was in Saving Private Ryan, and like that was the end of my thought process about Vin Diesel. Um, But in 1994, he wrote, directed, produced, self-funded, and starred in a semi-autobiographical movie called Multifacial – um, and it's about a struggling, multiracial actor stuck in the audition process. And it was about how, obviously, he was having a hard time getting movies. Um, he's, like, very open about his racial ambiguity. He has a mother who is white. She's Scottish and something else. And, she has an ad- and he has an adoptive African-American father. But, obviously, that's not his blood father. And he doesn't know about, like, his blood father father like he doesn't know like what race he is like all these sorts of things and that he has like used that as sort of a big point of his career and i think that that's really interesting and cool um so this 94 movie that he wrote um was selected for can and it was it like showed at 95 can which i thought was very cool um in addition to acting at this time in the mid 90s, he supported himself by working as a bouncer, which is where he came up with the name Vin Diesel. Cause he was like, no one's gonna respect me if I'm like, my name is Mark. So he came <laughs> up with Vin Diesel as his bouncer name. And then was like, this can be my stage name. Isn't that f- so cool?
0: Yeah, fuck you, Mark Wahlberg. Uh- and
1: then, <laughs> and then he also was a telemarketer selling light bulbs, <laughs> which I thought was yeah, very cool. He was funny. grinding out here. Um, And then in 97, he made his first full length film called Strays and it plays at Sundance. So he's sort of this like indie darling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's like he he has like an actor's actor start.
1: Yeah. And like uh, Steven Spielberg sees him in Strays at Sundance and was like, you should be in my next movie called Saving Private Ryan. So then like from there, obviously it really goes up. He's in that movie. He's in the Iron Giant. He's in Boiler Room. He's in Pitch Black. And then he's in the Fast and the Furious. And he is like definitely most known for Pitch Black where he plays Riddick. And then you get all those other movies. Um, And then the Fast and the Furious. But he has like a full like true actors. Like he's like, him and Ben Affleck have like similar origin stories (laughs) and very different careers, which obviously, and we'll talk about it more. Um, The last fun fact I learned is that he's a massive Dungeons and Dragons fan. Um, (laughs) He is a like longtime dungeon master and like he controls a lot of games and that there was an ASMR video of him walking you through an entire gameplay of Dungeons and Dragons. 18 hours long of oh Vin God. Diesel playing ASMR D&D. <laughs> 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 and I think that's so good.
0: <laughs> that's fucking insane.
1: So I like, um, I learned so much about Vin Diesel.
0: Uh, you taught me something. I didn't know that about the ASMR video. The, 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 the racial ambiguity, I think, is a huge part with Vin Diesel, especially when it comes to the Fast and the Furious franchise. Two other people that they were considering for this role. I don't know if you saw this, but one of them was Colin Farrell. and oh, the other Oh, terrible choice. <laughs> and the other one was timothy oliphant
1: better choice but still but either not way
0: great. it's just like the white dude yeah still class. not still because, not great like legit this is gonna sound dumb and i'm probably not the only one who thought this i thought vin diesel was hispanic like for most of my life
1: i think that's a fair assumption
0: which is like it's the only thing dumber that i've ever thought in that vein is i thought um catherine seda jones was hispanic because of the mask of zorro
1: <laughs> a lot of a lot of people did so that's not your fault
0: <laughs> and I didn't even know she was Welsh until like 2 years ago yeah. um anyway uh it's so but that that really works in terms of just like the the vibe of the movie and how LA it is it, like uh it even though Vin Diesel's path to the Fast and the Furious wasn't necessarily like oh this guy's going to be an action star um it also kind of makes sense like he, he Vin Diesel as Dom Toretto, just like it, he just embodies it with all the physicality. He makes his voice deeper when he's delivering as mm-hmm. Dom Toretto, um, and then when I see him as Vin Diesel and he's just out there, I'm like, who's this guy? Like, like, all right, Mark. Like, <laughs> like Vin Diesel is Dom Toretto, and then there's Mark Sinclair in my brain.
1: Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, I just thought it was super interesting, and I really didn't know anything about him. Um, I was talking with somebody earlier about how little I knew about Vin Diesel, and someone was like, yeah, he's sort of like The Rock before The Rock. And I was like, yeah, but at least like The Rock was a wrestler. like He was famous for doing something else and then became an actor. I'm like, I don't know where Vin Diesel just like, came from. And it seems like he just came from doing it all himself, which I think is very cool.
0: Have you seen The Pacifier?
1: Yes, <laughs> I have. I
0: like that movie, and then it's also hilarious that Vin Diesel is also Groot.
1: Yes, I I had forgotten that <laughs> until I saw it, I was like, oh I forget it Groot. every
0: time until just the credits, and it's like Vin Diesel as Groot.
1: Yeah, that's also how I feel about, um, Bradley Cooper, Cooper as is. Oh yeah, that's Rocket. true. Man. And then I remember the great videos of him doing voiceover work, <laughs> and he's so into it. Anyway, the third fucking Guardians movie is coming out like next week. I think it, I think it came out like a week ago when people are listening yes, to this. Yes, when this comes out. I'll try to find. I'll try to see it. Wild.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what else have you looked up?
1: So if I didn't know anything about Vin Diesel, I truly didn't know anything about Paul Walker. And this is going to be the worst thing ever, but I had never heard his name until he passed away in 2013 and people were losing their minds
0: i remember you saying this and we weren't like friends friends yet
1: yeah it was like first semester freshman year <laughs> and and i was, I was like, like
0: who what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about
1: <laughs> I was like who,
0: who everyone's i've never heard because <laughs> like bare minimum he's a beautiful man like i, I just figured people knew him just yeah. out of being hot In in The Fast and Furious. And so that was a real, you know what? We don't shame for blind spots anymore. No. But uh, 10 years ago, I was (laughs) like, I don't want to deal with this person.
1: That's (laughs) super valid. I had just just completely in a world I had never been in. Um, But he was very good in this movie as Brian O'Connor. He was a model and an actor from an extremely young age. Uh, He was in a Pampers commercial when he was two years old. That is how long he has been in the industry. And then before The Fast and the Furious, which is definitely noted as his big breakout role, he was in like soap operas and he was in little movies and then he was in little roles in movies that are more... Famous like Pleasantville and She's All That. And like you said, Varsity Blues. Um, And then he He came up with the
0: spread offense, Amanda, in Varsity Blues. Oh, good. He invented
1: it. I'm so happy for him. (laughs) Um, And then he becomes uh, Brian O'Connor. And that's like his whole thing. And I also wanted to note that I read a lot about Paul Walker and Vin Diesel's real life friendship. um, And the fact that Vin Diesel named his final or like his most recent daughter after paul walker and that he is the godfather of paul walker's kids that they are like truly friends and i thought that was very sweet
0: it literally makes me tear up when i think about their friendship
1: it's so cute i love male friendship
0: <laughs> <laughs> like first of all paul walker and vin diesel are like have real chemistry together On screen, like, as they're growing, like, at first as they're, like, curious adversaries, but they're really intrigued with each other. Mm -hmm. And that builds into, like, quick friendship, quick brotherhood. But the best part in terms of their dynamic on screen is when Paul Walker is when they're calling in the helicopter for Vince. And Paul Walker says that he's a cop. And then, like, the face Paul Walker makes as like, damn, I got to really admit, like, hey, Dom, I'm a cop. And then Dom's face of, like, surprise and all that. I, it's so good. It, even if this, even if this movie is like, if there was no good acting in this movie, there was good acting in that one scene. Yeah. Um, since he died, like the the movies, obviously the, he's a main character, but like the dynamic of Brian and Dom as like twin heads of the crew uh, is is just it's just so lacking. Like they tried to recreate it a little bit with The Rock or Jason Statham or da da da, but like nobody can really match um, just Vin Diesel's energy. And 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 Dom's energy um in the story. So it just it sucks all around, but also yeah. it's just like the franchise. Anyway, I'm glad you learned more about Paul Walker and 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 saw his uh, beautiful blue eyes and sandy blonde hair um, yeah. for the first time in action.
1: He's from Alameda, California, and he looks like it. That's not a diss, that's just a statement.
0: <laughs> Do you have any other questions um, about this movie or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've got a few questions. Um one of them is is this where NAS energy drinks came from, famed of the mid 2000s y-
0: yes like the okay. the, the, the logo of the can yeah um, was was based on looking like the nitrous oxide systems brand of nitrous injection systems amazing <laughs> Wild. And, and no, I never really drank it you know, I was more of a monster
1: guy I definitely have had some it's been a long time. It's probably been literally 15 years since I've had one. (laughs)
0: When's the last time you had an energy drink in general?
1: Oh, I drink a lot of sugar-free Red Bull at the bar. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) They come in like eight-ounce cans, and they're extremely crushable. Um, And when we have like a bar full of people, and I've been working since 9 a.m., I'm like down the hatch. Um, Gotta
0: do what you gotta do. Gotta have those wings.
1: So many sugar-free Red Bulls. So this is my other question. I went into this movie expecting one entity to be the fast and a different entity to be the furious. And they were (laughs) like Beauty and the Beast. There's the Beauty and then there's the Beast. There's the Fast and the Furious. That is clearly not what happened. So is Dom supposed to be both the fast and the furious, like inside, because he has like got a lot of anger issues and races cars. No. Okay, what is it? Who? What is the fast and the (laughs) furious?
0: The fast and the the, furious is the
1: the furious.
0: The fast and the furious is is like everything. The energy. (laughs) There, it's the lifestyle. It's. It's living your life quarter mile at a time. It's having the ride fast or die friendships.
1: And the furious is everything, <laughs>
0: it's yeah, it's just I know, I get it's it. the way they live their life. um it's the lifestyle that they're in. they it's live just the title of the movie. They've literally never said the fast and the Furious in the in
1: the franchise. interesting, okay. I was thinking too far into it then. um <laughs> I was like, well, they're so they're all the fast. And then when Dom like almost beat a guy to death, I was like, "Is he the Furious?" I'm like, but "I think he's they also all have the, the Furious
0: fast. inside of them."
1: That's what I was wondering.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you need to have some ferociousness within you to kind of do what they do and push the line. This this movie was almost uh, almost called Red Line. Oh, that's not a good name. Um, with like like pushing to the red line, or like when your car goes to the
1: RPMs that it shouldn't go to. Oh, um, that's too and- car centric i wouldn't have gotten it, that
0: even just for the sake of like one of my favorite things about the fast and the furious is it is the go-to bit when it comes to like a new a movie gets a sequel oh and then it becomes like too
1: fast too furious
0: yeah two knives two out
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> or 100%. like 100 you know.
1: percent two follow-up questions i didn't put in here but what is your favorite fast and fu- the fast and the furious movie out of the franchise
0: fast five for sure okay um, it it's a that's a perfect action movie.
1: And then, what is your favorite Fast and the Furious title? Too fast, too, too fast, furious. It's really good.
0: Like it's it's really fucking good.
1: I also liked Eight of the Furious <laughs> when they did that for the eighth movie.
0: Oh 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 oh! oh a Fate, Fate of the Furious. Yeah.
1: Fate of the Furious, but it was F Eight yep. of the. Furious. <laughs> i had I obviously have never seen these movies and and i was like that's so that's great marketing
0: (laughs) what's silly is like there's no consistency once you get past too fast too furious like then it's the fourth one is fast and furious fast five fast and furious six furious seven the fate (laughs) of furious and then the ninth one is f9 and then we go to fast x it's awesome Meanwhile, Mission Impossible is using every single kind of punctuation in their sequels. Yeah, true that. Mission colon Impossible dash Dead Reckoning colon part one. (laughs) Too
1: much. (laughs) Too much. Um, So that was fun. Those are my questions for you. Um, Do you have any questions for me? A few.
0: I already asked you if you knew Brian was a cop going into it. Yeah. Um,
1: In retrospect, Vince was right. Yeah, Vince fucking got his ass like right away. He was like, "That guy's a fucking cop."
0: Should have, should Vince have gotten a better edit? I guess if this was a reality TV show, like I, I feel like Vince <laughs> is like the Johnny Lawrence of Karate Kid, where it's like, you know what? He's he was made out to be the bad guy, but honestly, he was right. You know, he does wear mesh tank tops and he does use a homophobic slur, so he was in the wrong there.
1: But that's true. That was that was pretty tough. He did get to keep his arm. That's good for him. I was really nervous that that. That was not going to happen.
0: Uh, my next question for you is: Did you have a favorite car?
1: Um, so I'm not going to be able to tell you much about the car. No, that's um, okay. but the green one that Paul Walker drives in the first race—it's green, yes. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like lime green.
1: Yeah, I liked that one the most.
0: I'm gonna try <laughs> to find out what what. Uh... That is a 1995 Mitsubishi Eclipse.
1: So this was like what I was saying that I don't know a lot about cars and like some of it got a little lost on me. Like when Jesse goes to race Johnny Tran and he's like, that guy has a Honda 2000 and like you have a Jetta. And I'm like, those both sound like bad cars to me. Like not (laughs) not race cars, not bad cars, but like neither of those sound like race cars to me. They just sound like cars my mom would drive. And I'm like, I don't like that, like went right over my head where I was like, I bet car people got that.
0: <laughs> it's less about the model of the car and more about like the modifications that they made. So yeah, Brian, like knows already what Johnny Tran has in his car. Yeah, and that's why he's talking about they're pushing like 800 horsepower or whatever he says. Um, yeah. So it doesn't matter what Jesse had in his Jetta because he knew that Johnny Tran had a lot of money put into that car. So that's more of what he was saying amazing and plus car people can just like hear shit yeah <laughs> and he's like
1: oh I'm, I'm like wow that's crazy um
0: <laughs> but the lime green one is good i think my personally my favorite is either Brian's supra or uh dom's charger
1: okay
0: i wow. i love it's so dumb but i love how dom the, the charger oh how it like goes up wheelie yeah. yeah it's cool <laughs> i'm like i have no idea if that's realistic or not but you know what no it was
1: fucking sick yeah it was cool again
0: um oh another question is uh do you think Brian won that race at the end? When they jumped the train?
1: No. I okay. think Dom did. It's a whole I bit. Think, I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> I think <laughs> at the end bit. of the day, Dom is a better driver.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but Brian's learning. He's a quick learner. Yeah, he's he's um, doing
1: he's doing fast. He's good.
0: And then uh finally, uh Toretto's store is famous for having terrible tuna um except Brian likes it enough because Mia makes it um, yeah. shout out to Jordana Brewster uh it's the first time we've said her name but she's great um what is the best tuna salad you've eaten
1: um okay I've got a top three best okay best tuna salad sandwiches I love this this is exactly what I wanted correct <laughs> um my mom makes a really good tuna salad sandwich. She makes it very crunchy, so it has mm. like lots of onions, lots of celery. Um so I like that. That's like a, you know, your your my mom's not like the best cook, but that was like always something she could make really well. Love a tuna salad from mom. Um the tuna melt at the cafeteria of my old public radio job was oh, so wow. good. Wow. I would get a tuna melt and fries almost every Friday. And it was like the only thing that they could do well. Um, granted, I don't eat beef, so like they made hamburgers and stuff, and I just mm. never had them. Maybe they've got yeah. good hamburgers, but it was like everything else was like fine, but their tuna melts were like killer. <laughs> and wow. no one ever ordered that. Fascinating. But me. Just you. <laughs> and they had Cajun <laughs> fries, and I would get them too. They're really good.
0: That um heavy
1: and then like a fun indulgent tuna melt that i have that is really exceptional is chula seafood in phoenix has a hatch green chili tuna melt oh. and it's like spicy and smoky and they catch all their tuna every like fresh every day um from in san diego and drive it in and so it's like got like chunks of like like real fish it's so good not that anyone's using fake fish but you know what i'm saying like it's from a fish store <laughs> yeah, so it like has a, like a yeah. di- a different level um but the hatch green chilies in there just like are so Damn. good
0: that's a great shout
1: i love it it's like 19 dollars. <laughs> <But
0: it's- laughs> you did say it's indulgent i'll uh, i'll just round out with a, f- a few more notes one on the tuna bullshit asshole nobody likes a tuna here is a great line
1: <laughs> i thought that was um, funny
0: it's insane that Brian consistently orders a sandwich with the crust cut off as an adult man. Other notes uh, Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez didn't have driver's licenses. Oh. When they filmed this movie. And uh, that explains some of the driving. Uh, yeah. Driving it also acting.
1: explains some of uh, Michelle Rodriguez's uh, legal issues moving forward.
0: <laughs> um, you know what? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to let it lie. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Hector yeah. was in training day. Oh, that makes sense.
0: And then uh lastly, I've always wanted to go street racing and I I've I've never been I don't have a car that
1: can do What's it. the fastest you've ever driven yourself?
0: Uh sixty-five miles per hour.
1: Uh, I was gonna say I <laughs> forgot your car No,
0: um I, I've got I've gotten a speeding ticket in my life. Even though I never have uh street raced, I have played a lot of Need for Speed Underground, which is uh is that Basically a video game? The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it's great. Nice. Um, okay. Lastly, would you watch this movie again?
1: Um, I would be more inclined to maybe watch the other ones now that I have seen this one. And I don't know if I'm going to rush back to see this one, but it goes on the like, if it's on or someone wants to watch it, I'd be down.
0: It's kind of like the same feeling of like watching the first Avengers movie now.
1: The first Avengers movie I do watch when I'm sick because it is nostalgia porn, um, but that's like how probably how you feel too.
0: That's exactly that's exactly it. You're just like, oh, like remember whenever it was just like Loki? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was no stones. There was one universe. Yeah, it was great. Um, They're so young then. Two Fast, Two Furious is goofier, but like Ludacris is in it. And then, and so is Tyrese. And okay. then um, there's some Tokyo Drift stands, but Fast Five is like, you could pretty much go into it not knowing anything else, let's... Oh, we have one new category that we've decided to add on.
1: Yeah. Um, Attention listeners, new category. Yes.
0: So if you watch this movie for the first time or you're just like, man, you know it's great? The Fast and the Furious. And you want to watch more movies like this, um, here's a few recommendations. Other than the whole Fast and Furious franchise, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Point Break, Point Break. It's the Fast and the Furious, but with surfing. Nice. Better Luck Tomorrow is uh, directed by Justin Lin and uh, justin Lin would go on to direct many of the movies in this franchise including um tokyo drift and uh fast five he directed like three or four of them and the character han who we meet in tokyo drift is is basically in this movie like not only the actor but like the character cool. um so it's a fun uh very 2000s film and then a, if you want a silly car crime situation god in 60 seconds it's dumb it's nicholas cage Angelina Jolie, Timothy Oliphant. Amazing. And, uh, it's a great time. It's like Ocean's Eleven, but they're stealing cars. There you go. That's the Fast and the Furious. That's the family. We're ready to talk about Juno.
1: <laughs> I'm so ready.
0: All right, let's take a break.
1: This episode is not at all sponsored by Chula Seafood. The fishery now has multiple locations in the valley And you can buy fish wholesale from them off their boat in San Diego. Go for the fresh fish to bring home or for any of their entree items you can have in store. I personally love their oysters, especially during happy hour. The swordfish with chimichurri and a side of clam chowder fries is so good. And as mentioned in today's episode, the hatch green chili tuna melt. For more special occasion their locks and bagels special that they do on the holidays are really great and the sashimi platter is worth getting for any seafood lover in arizona chula also works with a lot of local purveyors so you can grab some arizona hot sauces fresh local bread seasonings and everything else you need to go along with your fish while you're right there finding local Finding good fresh seafood in Phoenix is hard, and I always go with chula. Zach, did you throw up in my urn? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, never.
1: No Fred, I'd never throw up in your urn. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Zach, oh you watched Juno. Tell me what happened. And
0: there's nothing like a middle school, like a, like a high schooler stomach, just fucking invincible. Um, all right, Juno, written by Diablo Cody, directed by Jason Reitman. Um, Juno, played by Elliot Page, is a 16-year-old high school student in Minnesota who learns she is pregnant and her friend Polly Bleeker, played by Michael Sarah, is the father. Initially, Juno get, goes to get an abortion but backs out and instead opts to have the child and give them up for adoption. Juno and her friend Leah, played by Olivia Thorlby, find a family in the Penny Saver magazine and decide on Mark and Vanessa Loring, who are played by Jason Bateman and Jennifer Gardner, respectively. Juno uh, also tells her father Mac, who is played by J.K. Simmons, and stepmother Bren, who is played by Allison Janney, and they are like pretty supportive. They're cool parents um after juno and her dad meet with the lorings they agree to a closed adoption over the next few months juno visits mark and they bond over rock music and horror films but things soon get emotional and inappropriate and mark admits to juno that he's having feelings and he also wants to divorce vanessa this is bad uh vanessa comes home shortly after this admission and mark finally tells vanessa um, what he had just admitted to juno juno leaves and after But after pulling off the road to kind of have a breakdown, understandably, she drives back to the house and leaves a note for Vanessa, but we don't see what is on the note. Juno then has a heartfelt talk with her dad, Mac, and goes to tell Polly that she loves him and they make up. They kind of had some friction. Um in the middle of the movie as well shortly afterward juno goes into labor and gives birth to a boy and it is revealed that the note she left vanessa said she was still down to give vanessa the baby if she was still up to adopt it Polly shows up at the hospital after his track meet as well and the two share a sweet moment on their on her hospital bed sometime later we see that the two are still in a relationship playing guitar and singing together how did i do
1: good so good
0: (laughs) so sweet
1: so sweet.
0: Why don't you tell me why you picked this movie?
1: So it's incredibly important to me. I just, I love this movie so much. Uh, I think it is iconic. But I also picked it because I do think it's so sweet. And I tend to pick really <laughs> fucked up movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it would be nice. And I like couldn't believe you hadn't seen it. So all of those reasons. All right. So what were... Your first impressions? What stood out when you were first watching?
0: It's gonna have a lot of Fast and Furious echoes here, but this felt so much like a two thousands period piece.
1: Yeah, like,
0: like firmly mid two thousands from the soundtrack to the fashion to the the tone of the humor to the cast to the fucking Sobe drink.
1: Oh, <laughs> it was so good. He just has uh, them in his fridge.
0: It was two thousands, but not in a bad way. Like I feel, I feel yeah. like it wasn't necessarily. Dated, but it just it just felt like a period piece, which is funny because um, it was obviously it wasn't filmed as a period piece. It was just of its time, and um, I just thought uh, it you know felt some a little bit of nostalgia for the two thousands. Even though I don't know, I don't want to go back to being twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, another thing that stood out is uh, Jennifer Gardner. Uh, she's great. She's so good in this role. That character could have been, and this goes to the writing as well, but also her performance could have been just like this sad weepy almost annoying uh desperate character but um on how they shot the film the cutaways like juno's so nonchalant and whatever about the pregnancy and like anytime she makes a offhand comment about like uh like i don't even want to be pregnant this sucks and it shows Jennifer Garner like that's all she wants to be is pregnant and a mother um and she just crushes every single like one of those looks the i think of when she comes home after um mark makes kind of a a pass at juno they don't really say anything but like she gives a look to juno and she kind of understands immediately and jason bateman's also great because he's so like smarmy in this movie but the the way jennifer garner plays it in that moment is like pitch perfect um and I, i haven't watched a ton of movies with her in it like we've all seen 13 going on 30 and i think both of us have seen electro unfortunately it kind of stops there, uh, in terms of the movies I've seen Jennifer Garner in, and I wasn't an Alias person either, so, um, it was really cool to see her kind of cook in a small role.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Vanessa character could have been like truly insufferable, yeah. um, but that that scene that you're talking about specifically is so good because you know Juno comes up, she's crying, and she says, "What's what's wrong? Why are you crying?" Like she thinks something's wrong with the baby, like because she's so anxious about having lost. Mm-hmm this first adoption. And Juno says, you know, in the way that she pushes everything off, she said, I'm not crying. I'm allergic to expensive furniture. (laughs) And then then Mark comes up, Jason Bateman's character. And like you said, she looks at Juno and she looks at Mark. And the first thing she says is, what did you do? Mm -hmm. Like she knows that Mark is a fucking shithead. And like that Mark is to blame for whatever is going on right now. And like, maybe she didn't put it together. No, what happened? But she's like, you're the problem. And she knew, and I think that that mm-hmm. is like very impressive the way that she played that off,
0: yeah, and I think Jennifer Gardner also was great in uh the scene at the mall where they mm-hmm. run into each other um I think I think it's just like I'm used to earnest characters being really annoying, <laughs>
1: she's, especially
0: she's so genuine, right, and like ju- juxtaposed with like the precocious kid uh I don't know why I keep saying juxtaposed. It's like the third time I've said it and then like the third time I've said it this year. Um but I would usually be like, oh get like get this earnestness off off of my screen. You know, mm-hmm. don't need that. But like it it's so necessary to really give weight to what's going on. Yeah. Like Judo is so nonchalant about the pregnancy and is just like, yeah, this is the thing that happens. Even the movie doesn't, it doesn't really like antagonize or villainize or like do anything. Negative toward Juno about the pregnancy. Everybody's pretty supportive and chill about it. Mm-hmm. And if anybody is staring at her, she's just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but so Jennifer Gardner's reactions and and the, the way that character is played like does ground it in like the significance of it all.
1: That mall scene you you mentioned, I'll expand upon a little bit. I, I think that like she's so anxious that something's gonna go wrong like she Mm -hmm. wants it so badly that she's like at any moment this can be taken away from me because it has been already and like pregnancies are extremely complicated let alone having the pregnancy not be from you like someone else's decisions are being put in here too but that scene where juno's like oh the baby like kicks all the time like he's always kicking and then the look of like absolute devastation when she can't get the baby to kick, like Vanessa can't, and she's like, He won't, he won't do it for me. Like, she's very clearly nervous about like, is this baby gonna bond with me? Will it ever feel like I'm actually a mother? And then her whole expression lights up as if there is like air in her lungs for the first time again when the baby does kick. And like it's a very short scene, but to play both sides of those emotions without it being corny so quickly is like yeah, very, yeah. very impressive.
0: Another thing that stood out is uh, the soundtrack. Uh, Kimya Dawson did it a, a large part of it. Her bands, Anti Pants and Multi Peaches. I remember like downloading this soundtrack in high school, having not watched the movie and and like thing like this is the music I like. I was really trying to swerve from like I grew up on a lot of like R and B and hip hop, The Family Stone and Earth Wind and Fire and Luther Vandross, and like I don't know what happened. I don't know why. I just like you know what I want to listen to this kind of stuff. I think it was because it. everybody around me liked it. Like the kind of music I was liking, so I wanted something that I could just like on my own. It was funny listening to the music come up in the movie and be like, "Oh, I already know this.
1: It's such a good soundtrack. It like fits the movie perfectly. I can't separate the two.
0: It really does match like the sweet tragic comedy vibes mm-hmm. of the movie I was reading I think Reitman initially wanted uh Juno to be a fan of like glam rock um mm. but then. Realized very quickly that it was like not the vibe, um, yeah. of the character of the story. So I think that was a good call all around.
1: And like you said, like there's like an there's like a childhood innocence to the acousticness of the music. What have you thought about most since you finished watching the movie?
0: I enjoyed how much Juno thinks she knows everything, but then all the adults around her are like actually taking this seriously, like actually yeah. taking. The pregnancy seriously, actually taking her choice to adopt like give up her kid for adoption seriously. Yeah. um the closed adoption option. Like everybody else's face besides Juno is like, dude, like <laughs> um, this is heavy. And she's like, Yeah, it's fine, whatever. Um, and that that was such a that's a you know, such a smart choice. Like they're never beating her over the head with, Hey, you know, be be real about this. Sometimes JK Simmons is like Junie Bug, like, you know, June bug or whatever he calls her, like think about this for a second um but i do th- think that Juno's precociousness is really well balanced from all the adult characters in the in the movie
1: and i think that like a good balance of that is the Vanessa character like when the two of them talk she like can see how much it means to Vanessa mm-hmm. that Juno is pregnant where like Juno's like i don't know in 9 months i'm just like going to go back to playing in my band <laughs> <laughs> and, like, your life is going to change.
0: I think they're all, like, protective of Juno, but, like, not uh, over- overwhelmingly so. Like, they let her just say her stuff off the cuff. But, like, I think of the ultrasound scene and Allison Janney is there. Oh, and so good. It's, like, I didn't even catch the slight that the doctor might have said until Allison Janney was like, what do you mean by that?
1: It definitely is more obvious on rewatch because you're like, oh, she's about to say something shitty. And you're then right. when she says it, you're like, girlfriend, what the fuck?
0: a great casting choice to get you know jk simmons allison janney especially allison janney in the middle of freaking west wing uh, yeah or maybe so good into west wing um and jason bateman is is great as in his role and um jennifer gardner obviously we talked about her i I read she took a pay cut to make sure this movie didn't go over budget like the other thing i thought about was um i guess this is a thing i kind of looked up to but whatever um i knew this movie was a hit um you, you know i was I was in middle school, like mm-hmm. this movie, like <laughs> we were there, uh, but I didn't realize how big of a hit it had. A six million dollar budget, and it made more than two hundred thirty million.
1: That's amazing.
0: And not only was it a box office hit, it was a it was a critical darling as well. Topped yeah, a lot of year end lists. Um, you know, four Academy Award nominations and all that. So, um, it's cool. You know, original story, small story, uh, really mostly unknown players and. And yet it just had this real sensational moment for itself. And then uh, it's crazy that we've taken this long to get to uh, this, but um, I just thought a lot about Elliot Page and and their career. Um, He was awesome in this movie. Um, So good. At 2021, the the comedic timing, just the the presence on screen, um, whether it was comedic or serious or something in between.
1: This this character feels so real. It feels so lived in, to a point like when when Elliot Page was in other things, or like when news about Elliot Page's transition came out, a lot of people were like, "Oh, Juno!" Like ju- like they would call <laughs> Elliot Page Juno, like because that is ha- not only it was you know their first big performance and like what we all know them for, but he's so like bringing this character to life at such a young age like he just did such a good job
0: i think the thing that surprised me about this movie is how much it kind of did hold up like even though it was it is very 2000s and like i was saying but the just the energy of the performance from elliot page is so uh like timeless i don't know it's just um i've talked about roger ebert but he really loved this performance he predicted page would be one of the quote great actors of their time um Page got an Oscar nom from this. Um, really popped off. Like there was Whip It, and the year before, Elliot Page was in X Men: The Last Stand. I thought that was only an after thing, but um, they play Kitty Pride, They're in Inception, um, mm-hmm. going toe to toe with Leo, and and then like the 2010s weren't as big. For them yeah. but um, in late 2020 la page came out as uh, a transgender man became the first openly trans man to be on the cover of Time magazine and um, in interviews in uh, I think also uh, an essay on Esquire talked about how the popularity of Juno like really made life hard for them at the time I,
1: I imagine um,
0: from like the press tour like at I think the I want to say it was the Toronto International Film Festival um, they wanted to come out dressed in a suit because that's yeah. what they wanted to wear. Um, and the studio execs were like, no. And they took him to a dress shop to make them present more femininely. It's easy to imagine how difficult that must have been. Um, he also talked about how it really came to a head during Inception. Um, yeah, I bet. And a- after years of just being in this spotlight and um, being touted as, you know, this iconic young actor in Hollywood. Um it only makes sense that it would, it would be difficult. But since coming out as trans, many people have been supportive and uh, it's been cool. I'm hoping for like a late period uh, kind of revival for, for him uh, if it can. But uh, at the very I've never watched the Umbrella Academy. I know a lot of people love that show, but that's probably the most notable work that that he's been in um, of late. But there's still time. There's still plenty of time. I, I, I assume that we're going to get a lot of great, if not like performances, just like art or just like life out of Elliot Page now that they're um like finally living the life that they want to
1: absolutely I think that the like Juno obviously being a movie about a young girl getting pregnant that is a very difficult uh thing if you were a closeted trans man uh to be able to talk about all the time I'm sure the two thousand and seven I'm sure the 2007 media tour was not extremely sensitive. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, but then in Inception, like you said, like at the time, pre-transition, uh, they were the only, like one of two females in the whole movie. And I'm sure that that made them very uncomfortable and and things like that. And I don't want to put words into their mouth, but it is very notable. Um, he has a book coming out this year called Page Boy, um, that I'm really looking forward to reading. It's about their life and their career and their time and this idea to transition and what it was like to be in these movies that are iconically female. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say about the Inception thing um, while not being female. Um, so I thought that that is... Um, I'm excited to see it. Uh, it looks yeah. like a good book. I think it's coming out in July or something like that. Um, I've always liked Elliot Page... FH- as an actor because, because I fell in love with Juno so early. Um, so I obviously am very supportive and excited to see what happens with the rest of his career. And honestly, like they probably took time off because they needed to, <laughs> like they didn't y- want to yeah. be seen or be on screen. I, I can't imagine. I was thinking earlier, like it's hard enough. Like transitioning in general is a very difficult and emotional process, but like when you know, you no, know, 200 people or when you are known globally like i can imagine that those would be very different experiences
0: uh that must have been such a fucking like brain fuck to be this like you said I- iconic like playing so many iconic female characters and be like a quote like feminist icon for to for some people and having to hide that part of yourself and then it's already hard enough for young women actors to Move from ingenue to like serious actor roles totally enough without being a closeted trans man, yeah, and and having that whole thing to grapple with. I mean, shit we just look at the news cycle right now, but I'm happy for them and yeah, uh, I really hope the book's good. I hope I'm eager for, for the rest of their career. Um, it was really good to see them on stage at the Oscars, I think it was a couple years ago, um, for the 15th anniversary of this film. Um, it was just cool.
1: Um, all right. What were some of the things you looked up about the movie after you finished?
0: Yeah. So, um I really wanted to know in the mid 2000s how people took to the whole teen pregnancy storyline. Um again, I we were pre-teens and teenagers in the mid 2000s. I mean, I didn't watch like 16 and Pregnant or Teen Mom or anything like that, but I know those were huge shows or whatever. Um I will say so apparently-
1: as as a teen girl, I knew all of the facts that you found.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what I learned is there was something that was qu- called the quote unquote Juno effect. 17 girls in a Massachusetts school all got pregnant and people basically blame this movie. Um, a lot of yeah. conservatives kind of pointed this movie as um, scandalizing people and uh, for lack of a better term, inspiring them. Yeah, um, Romanticizing
1: gl- teen pregnancy. Yeah,
0: glamorizing teen pregnancy. But there's, like, a bunch of stats out there to say that this was not a thing. Yeah. Including but not limited to. teen Pregnancy actually went down in 2008-09, which is when, if they had seen this movie and then been inspired by Juno, would have gotten pregnant in um, those years. Uh, it, this is really another case of, like, b- blaming art for people's bad actions or actions in general is just, like, a bad faith argument, um, like, 90% of the time. Uh, I did see a thing that Diablo Cody said in the last few years um, saying that she probably wouldn't have written the movie now because it's viewed as, like, sometimes viewed as, like, an anti-choice film, um, which she sees, but also, like, it's not, like, the angle at which she's writing it. And I honestly think you can just, like, take out any sense of that if you just, like, skip the... Planned Parenthood scene, like, or the you skip the abortion clinic scene if you're just like, I don't know how else you would go about that. You can just be like, oh, I was gonna get an abortion, but I kind of changed my mind. But it seems like she was, I don't know, like it's not an anti-choice film. Like she, she. Chooses actually, to actually the kid. I
1: was gonna say, I actually think because of the abortion clinic scene, it's extremely pro-choice. She goes there with the idea and this like safety net, so to speak, of wanting well, to get an abortion. They kind of make the, the clinic look like bad. I, okay, I understand. I think the idea is like when you're a very young girl doing medical things by yourself, it's very scary. And like, I can imagine going to a clinic when I'm 16 and pregnant. I would have this lens of this is a very scary, stress inducing spot because she's having a panic attack. And, but she gets to be at one choice and make a different choice to. Have the baby. This is also the idea of a lot of people right now are trying to change the verbiage of pro choice and not pro choice and all these sorts of things because it feels confusing. But like pro choice is not pro abortion, it's pro options. And she has many options, and one of them is to have a baby and give it up for adoption. So, I think it's actually like a very accurate representation of pro-choice, but I also can understand why it's being taken out of context um to make it seem like it is not pro-choice.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing that I was like mm, I, w- I wish that was a little different was just like the the person at the reception desk. Cuz I like just knowing like I know those people are warmer than that. <laughs> yeah. And I know no, it's absolutely. I know it's play for comedy, but like of all the of all the places um also would have loved it if the Asian character spoken like regular English. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but uh, the, the thing that brought that on for Cody was like I, she went to a Catholic high school growing up and one of her professors or whatever wrote her and was like, thank you for making a movie that upholds the values of the school. And oh, she was no. like, oh, no, what have I done? No. <laughs> um, but like you said, if you anybody actually has seen the movie and like watches it with any sort of like, I don't know, reading comprehension. Um, yeah, you know that that's there's no real agenda there.
1: I also wanted to say that between this movie coming out, the popularity of the Teen Mom MTV show, and this seventeen girl situation, which is called the pregnancy pact, there was like so much teen pregnancy content when we were kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: like so it much. was like everywhere. People were like, I remember. A lot of people like turning twenty and being like made it out of being a teen mom. Like I like are other generations thinking about teen pregnancies as much as it was? No, because they were married and, and
0: pregnant by nineteen. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the other things I looked up, obviously, were uh, the Oscars. Um, it won best original screenplay. Had four other no- or it had four nominations total. One of the movies it won best original screenplay over was Michael Clayton. People, I don't know. I just I bring that up because people roundly consider that one of the best. Like most perfectly written scripts of the century from Tony Gilroy. But this one, like I, it's not one of those movies where I'm like, ah, Juno won over Michael Clayton. Like, I yeah. don't know. I get it. It's cool that it won the the category that I consider the cool kids category. Um, best original screenplay. The other nominations, it got a best picture nomination. Jason Ryman got a best director nomination. Um, Elliot page got a nomination for best actress because um, they presented as a woman at the time um, and original screenplay. So, uh, great job by everybody involved, uh, just to once again, hammer home the critical darlingness of this film and particularly Roger Ebert's love for this film. He says, quote, the film has no wrong scenes and no extra scenes and flows like running water. And it really does. It kind of just like passes you by, but not in a passive sense. It just, it just, it's it's easy to intake and it's enjoyable and it also kind of hits you a little bit, but it also comes back around. Um yeah, it, it it's just, it's so solid.
1: Yeah, Raj is absolutely correct.
0: Also, I looked up Diablo Cody's career. This movie was kind of based on her life. Like she mm. had a, um a, a, like a hamburger phone, she dated up hamburger who loved phone. It, yeah, it's so she uh, shakes it in order yeah. <laughs> to hear better. <laughs> You're like, sorry, I need to I'm on my hamburger phone. Um <laughs>
1: I'm calling for a hasty abortion. <laughs> it's so funny
0: god um she uh dated a boy who loved orange tic tacs uh Aww. as far as i know she did not have a give birth to a child during her teen years but um diablo cody is an interesting person she was like you no know, early 2000s blogger she became a stripper on a whim for a year and <laughs> then wrote a book about it um and then has become you know uh a pretty steady presence in um in hollywood she wrote Jennifer's Body after this. Young Adult, uh, Ricky and Flash, Tully. Um, all these movies are movies that I kind of like. Um, I, I, I think I like Tully more than most people. I don't know why, but there's definitely a certain kind of vibe. And uh, her and Reitman have have collabed a few times, like on Young Adult and Tully. So um, interesting, like origin story for them, and like what a banger of a first script. Like, yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. You come out and you come out and you immediately win an Oscar. Um, Damn.
1: All right. Do you have any questions for me?
0: A few. Okay. Um, first, what was your first Michael Sarah movie?
1: Uh definitely uh Scott Pilgrim vs. the world.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Um, okay. We we you've quoted several lines in this film. Um, but do you have a favorite one?
1: So I have two. One is funny and one is like more heartfelt. Um, the funny one that gets me literally every single time is, we should probably get you home. Your parents are probably worried about you. Nah, I mean, I'm already pregnant, so like, what kind of other shenanigans can I get into, <laughs> is so fucking funny. And Jennifer Garner's face is so good. She's like, um, okay.
0: Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Elliot Page, the, the timing, the, the, the deadpan it's so- delivery, uh, it's so good. What's the other line?
1: My other one is the J.K. Simmons quote. In my opinion, the best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are good mood, bad mood, ugly, pretty, handsome, what have you. The right person is still going to think the sun shines out your ass. That's the kind of person that's worth sticking with.
0: Yeah. I've seen, I've definitely seen that in the Tumblr gift sets. Totally. Allison Janney and J.K. Simmons, shocker, are great. Yeah. Um, Their marriage dynamic is great uh mac as like a reluctantly really great father is great you understand why juno is the way she is yeah just based on mac
1: yeah and even Um, bren like bren to be like all right well we got to get you healthy we got to get you prenatal vitamins we got to get like like if we're gonna do it we're gonna do it right
0: and then lastly uh i wanted to ask what was your the difference between your experience watching this as a teen versus watching it as an adult because i have like a a thought but I want to hear your your experience first
1: as a former precocious child I <laughs> was very drawn to this movie because I was like thank like finally like a kid that talks the way I think and I the like acceptance from the parents obviously was like a big part of it and I was also very interested in like wiry boys and um I just think that as a kid I I don't want to say I felt seen cuz I like didn't go through teen pregnancy but like there was a part of it where I was like oh this is a movie made for people like me. And as a kid or like as an adult I think there's such a sweetness to it. Um it's, it's just soaked in nostalgia for me though. I have a really hard time separating them. Um but yeah, I really love this movie. Is that clear? Famously. <laughs>
0: i had a thought that like if i watched this as a teen and, and and this specifically came up when um juno first went to go visit mark uh and then came back home and it was bren was sitting in the living room and juno was just coming back and bren kind of scolds juno for being like he's a married man like yeah you know i feel like as a teen i would have been on juno's side like you know like parents chill but watching it as an adult i'm like oh i get it like you know yeah. Trying to teach a teen boundaries and and um, like I was talking about earlier, like all of the little small looks that everybody gives Juno while she's cracking jokes and uh, everybody's like, uh, we're talking about like pregnancy and, and adoption and like you got to be serious here. I, I don't know. I, I'm a boy. So <laughs> so like a lot of that probably would have gone over my head as a preteen.
1: But it's true. Like I, I think that that's such a good point. And I will talk more about Jason Bateman's character Um but the fact that she's like no he like good he likes good music and he likes cool movies like at 16 like that's all that mattered to me too like that was right. like the basis of like oh i guess we're going to fall in love now like cuz he likes the the same bands i like and as an adult you obviously see it so much more clear um i do remember like as a kid seeing it being like that was like a weird twist <laughs> but like it is so obvious from the beginning yeah yeah. um What's happening? Nice.
0: um Do you have any other questions or comments for me?
1: I always think of Juno when I see orange Tic Tacs. Every single time, I'm like, oh, Polly Bleecker. I love and she's like, he had just been eating them that night, so his his breath was tangy. Like I love <laughs> the ad the adjective of tangy yeah. when she's talking. Yeah, you can about never it. have
0: too many of your favorite one calorie breath mints.
1: <laughs> so good. Um, and then uh, I have not conceived a child so i don't really know at what stages and uh children are doing what inside the belly um but the point about it growing fingernails was the part that like really freaked Juno out and she was like i can't do this and um so i googled like at what stage do like fetuses develop fingernails and it is at 14 weeks which is how oh. far along she is i thought that was so some bullshit i did too for the longest and i was like oh but that's nice. Something that really hit me this time while I was watching it was Elliot Page's face when he's crying in the car after everything blew up with Mark mm-hmm. is just like the weight of everything that's been going on has finally hit them. And she looks like a child for the first mm-hmm. time in like the whole movie like cuz she's so you know quote unquote mature she talks like in such a mature way or whatever and like she looks like a little girl sobbing in this car and that like really really hit me this time while I was watching it I was like oh my god yeah, that's right like 16 is so young and even though at 16 you think you know everything and you think you're an adult, like you are absolutely not an adult (laughs) and you are allowed to cry because this is extremely overwhelming. Um, And I just like was really hit by that scene. My questions for you um, are, my questions for you are, what was your favorite line? I know you asked me the same thing, but.
0: Um, There's too many to pick honestly uh but i'll just cite two that just stuck in my brain particularly uh the way allison janney delivers well honey doctors are sadists who like to play god and watch lesser people scream yes. <laughs> and i'm like it's... yeah they are cj
1: yeah, it's perfect
0: <laughs> and then uh uh juno said either i just peed my pants or thundercats are
1: go yeah, it's so funny. Uh,
0: that was great. Love love a family piling into a car.
1: Yeah. When she's talking about her mom uh, sending her a cactus every year on Valentine's Day, she's oh, like, yeah. thanks a heap, Coyote Ugly. <laughs> but you already know, and I already know, my favorite line of this movie is, I still have your underwear. I still have your virginity. Will you shut up? <laughs> okay. Um, my last question for you is... A lot of people have said that this movie ages really badly because Jason Bateman is a creep and literally a pedophile. Um how do you feel about that? Before I give is, you how I feel about it.
0: Is that age do people say this movie has aged poorly because I think that was the point?
1: That's how I think. I'm like, well that's who's saying, The like, point who, like, of the is movie is just randos
0: on Twitter like did the people, people watch like, the
1: movie the first time?
0: Like did <laughs> they think he no was idea. cool? He's literally a child. He has his own room for his little toys.
1: Oh my gosh, a whole room? I completely agree. Like that's the point of the movie. He's a reply guy. He sucks. (laughs) He's a child. He's like so unprepared for this world. All right, Zach. Would you watch this movie again? I
0: would. It was good. It was fun. It was chill. Good vibes.
1: Good vibes. It's a it's also nice and short, so
0: that's that's facts.
1: A good feel good film so we both came in with,
0: with sub two hour movies great job by us
1: my version of more movies that are like this we've talked about a few of them but i always think about this one and little miss sunshine mm-hmm. to me those movies have very similar vibes easy a young teen girl does sexual experiment with cool sassy parents i think another one of like High schoolers talking precociously and handling very adult feelings. Um, I always think of Perks of being a wallflower. I think that these movies also have very similar vibes. Perks is a lot less funny, but it is like, wow, kids handle a lot of emotions and we should be more validating. All right. We did it. That was fun. Those were two good. Those have been on our list for a long time. So I'm very proud of us. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um,
0: All right. Which movie did you like the most out of the two?
1: I liked Juno more. I like the Fast and the Furious. It's it's fine. two in my heart.
0: (laughs) Same. You know, my heart is full of NOS. Which movie do you think Louis would love more?
1: So I was thinking about this earlier. Our beloved vampire. Our beloved vampire. I think he would like the Fast and the Furious more. I think the idea of like joking teen pregnancy would make him very uncomfortable. (laughs) Seems a little Hmm. traditional for that, and I think he would be like excited by the adrenaline of the Fast and the Furious.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Um, See, I was leaning Juno because I think he would like a precocious young woman, like and and dad vibes, dad vibes. Like he'll think of Kirsten Dunst and be like, "Wow, I really miss my like surrogate daughter." Um, I wish, oh, but then maybe maybe.
1: Maybe it would bring up bad thoughts of like her screaming, you, you're you never going to let me grow up. And then he blames mm. himself because like his precocious daughter would never be able to get pregnant.
0: <laughs> that's true. I, but she like also dead, there's, but. there's like some, there's like some like nostalgia pain that he would probably he might want to tap into. Oh, that's true. Like, Maybe it's a good thing. It was a good the life that she never got to live. And it's like, it's the closest he got, you know,
1: I really I'm so happy that Interview with a Vampire has made it into our show permanently.
0: I love that this is the legacy of our pod. I
1: love that movie. (laughs) And I still don't know if it's good. So what are we watching in June? First, First month of the summer, what do we got on the docket?
0: You know, normally I just dive right into it, but it feels wrong for me to be the one that explains this category in these movies. So... Um, why don't you tell the people what we're watching next and why we're watching them?
1: We are watching Psycho and Tombstone, two movies that take place in the great 48th state of this union, Arizona. We're watching you know Arizona what, movies.
0: Did you know Amanda's from Arizona?
1: Did you know that? <laughs> did you know I wasn't born in Arizona? That's the real twist of life.
0: It yeah, is true. <laughs> so what do you know about Tombstone?
1: I don't know a lot. Um, I have been to Tombstone, Arizona. Um Ooh, it's fascinating. like it's like a uh a show now. It's like a like amusement park is a big term, um, but it's like a touristy thing. I know it's famous men and I can't think of any of them off the top of my head.
0: There you go. So I know uh, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be great. I actually have no idea if you're going to like this movie, but I did almost pick this film for our very first movie swap uh, back in the day because of one particularly good performance that you'll get to see soon.
1: Amazing. What do you know about Psycho?
0: Never heard. No, it's Hitchcock. <laughs> it's like it might be the Hitchcock movie. I, don't, I, I think it, it is. might not be. But like uh, I know that there's the knife scene. I know the Bates Motel is a thing. I, honestly, that's really it.
1: Okay, so, so you don't know like a lot of the plot. All right, I'm so excited. Well, what else is on your watch list? Yeah,
0: so like I was saying at the top of the show, I've not gotten a lot around to a lot of 2023 films, um, but I want to. There's there's some that are coming up pretty soon. One's called Chevalier. It stars Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, from Waves, uh, a movie that I think you and I oh. both really liked. I-, I really like Kelvin Harrison. It's um, Samara Weaving is also in it, uh, and Mini Driver. Um, who seems to be popping up in a lot of movies lately. But anyway, uh, I also want to watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, Me too. I just keep missing my chances to go see it, but uh, another 2023 film that I've heard good things about. And then also I, a movie that I should have seen um, a while ago, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, I'm
1: really shocked by that.
0: Really? I, I've been in the room while people I know have watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I just, I just... I don't know. I, I never got around to it. So uh, what about yeah. you? What else uh, is on your pop? Uh, your watch
1: list? Um, Stanley Cup playoffs are happening right now. It's been very fun. And then Full Metal Jacket is leaving HBO Max at the end of the month. And so that's been on my list for a while. Just trying to like get some of my uh, uh, completionism settled. Uh, And then Marnie, which is a Hitchcock movie I had not seen with Sean Connery and Tippi Hedren is on Netflix, like I said. Um, So I want to watch that while it's there. And then while I was looking at movies that are coming out because I couldn't think of anything was coming out in May, I came across a movie I have never heard of but is featuring, starring Ben Affleck and no other oh, actors yes. I've ever heard of. <laughs> I it is a movie about. called Hypnotic. I watched the trailer. It looks bonkers. Um, and it is a detective becomes entangled in a mystery involving his missing daughter and a secret government program while investigating a string of reality-bending crimes. And it comes out May 12th. And if I have nothing better to do and a night free, I'll probably go see it. <laughs>
0: This sounds like the kind of movie that would make like sixty million dollars at the box office in nineteen ninety two.
1: It looks actively not good, but <laughs> I trust Ben Affleck, so I'm excited. There
0: you go. <laughs> you know, we all we all gotta trust who we trust. Hey, um, I went and man, saw Air. Keep... Air, it, you know.
1: Can't wait to talk about it all year. A, shoe is, the shoe.
0: a shoe is a shoe. A shoe a shoe until Michael Jordan steps into it. He bought a shoe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: funny every time
0: <laughs> just 23 seconds of insane courage
1: <laughs> yeah that's it all right also, thank you guys movie. Movie. so much for listening <laughs> oh, we God. really appreciate it you can find a, a new episode on the second tuesday of every month um thank you for being with us for two whole years yeah that's so fun um, we've swapped so many movies. We've watched so many movies. Maybe we'll do a little episode talking about all the, you know, the movies and our experiences since, since starting the podcast. But in the meantime, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpotterspod. Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Blindspotters. Zach, where can people find you online?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Zach Poclub, And as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. How about you?
1: You can send me. All compliments at Amanda Luberto on all social media, unverified across all platforms. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Blue check. Never heard of her.
1: Yeah. Don't know her anymore. Don't talk about my exes. All right. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Can't wait to watch uh, movies by Arizona. It's gonna be so good. Bye.
0: Dear heavenly uh, spirit. Um, thank you for providing <laughs> us with direct port nitrous uh, injection for core intercoolers. Uh, ball-bearing turbos, and um, titanium valve springs. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: Uh, I love saying grace. <laughs> no, I don't. I hate that. I haven't grace in years. <laughs>